Hello everyone and welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts with Mike Murphy and Tom Ertz Jr. Uh, Tom Ertz II, sometimes. Uh, I want you to know, Tom, I, without telling you, I'm telling you this now on the show, I posted on our, uh, our Patreon, uh, or Patreon I should say, and I did hashtag uh, Ertz Chips. As a callback oh, really? to, to when I once asked you if you were the, you know, like the the bastard stepchild of the Earth's of the Uts potato chip uh, fortune, which, you know, maybe one day you never know. That's um, a life goal. Get rich yeah. enough to buy the company, rename it, and uh, to confuse everyone for for oh, years. Oh hell yeah! Before we talk Rangers, you finally saw the movie Rounders. I did. It was one of those things where um, it's on Netflix, I... which is probably how you saw it. That's exactly it. Like when I saw the Netflix movies coming in November, I'm like, you know what? I'm finally be able to watch this all the way through. It was like one of those movies that I kept getting like stopping and starting like on cable TV and never got around to. And uh, very good movie. Um, it's certainly I can now see elements of that movie in movies that came after it. Um, so, but yeah, really good movie. And it's just sort of funny with. You know Teddy KGB and his tell being with the Oreos. I just I found that hilarious just because I'm someone who loves Oreos, um, and seeing the little tape of you know do not touch on his Oreo uh, stack. I I just I found that to be pretty hilarious. But uh, very very good movie, and I'm glad I finally saw it all the way through. Yeah, I always like to imagine that Teddy KGB is like a distant uncle of Shayna's because of her obsession with Oreos. <laughs> um, now that we got that out of the way, which is by the way. Rounders is one of those movies I love. I'm a sucker for Ed Norton. He's like my top five actors. But uh, mm-hmm. I've never, to this day, I refuse to call poker a sport. Uh, not a sport. It is a card game. Uh, and now going on to some other things that sometimes barely look like sports. <laughs> New York Rangers hockey, Tom. Great transition. Um, yeah, not bad. Uh, there's a lot to talk about this week. And really it's a mixed bag because, you know, the Rangers definitely crapped the bed somewhat on the road trip to florida um and but that's really not what everyone's talking about right now tom maybe we should go to you know the big news of you know the past 24 48 hours which is that michael haley has been sent down that is (laughs) that's right michael haley who to this day whenever i write his damn name he is an E-A-L instead of gotta think about how you write it out i do the same exact thing but sometimes i'm lazy and i just Go into hockey reference and type Haley, and then yeah, uh, yeah. yeah but you, you see, go. I I grew up writing my name, so you know, it, spelling my own name wrong is something I remember I got reprimanded for as a young man, and now I have to unlearn that. Anyway, uh, yeah, Haley hit the waivers and was not assigned to Hartford, uh, but of course the big news, the real big news, is that Leas Anderson's been assigned to the Hartford Wolfpack. And Tim Gettinger has been recalled. Uh, now, Tom, before the show, you pointed out something that I think not a lot of people um, are considering the fact, which is that Tim Gettinger, one of the reasons he was likely called up is, frankly, he will not have to go back through waivers. Uh, you know, when and if, obviously, it's a question of when, really, for him, uh, when he gets reassigned to Hartford, which is not the case for Matt Bolesky. It's not the case for Phil DiGiuseppe, for Stephen Fogarty, for... Uh, Booney Evis or Danny Letary. Yeah, or Dan- is that, yeah, Letary too, right? Um, so, yeah, uh, that is a, oh no, 
On cap friendly, it says he's waivers exempt, but I don't think that's right. It might be that at the, once he plays one more NHL game. Like oh, know, he might be right on the, the cusp of it? Okay. Yeah, I know, like, I think, like, over the summer, like, Mika had put together, like, a little spreadsheet of even tracking, like, Gorgiev, like, once he hits a, a threshold, then the Rangers sort of are in a, between a rock and a hard place with what they do with him. But, mm. yeah, overarching, um, yeah, Anderson goes down, and, I mean, I'm not surprised. The writing was on the wall after playing you know it was like three minutes and change against the panthers and yeah, he's Jesus not played Christ. a lot since yeah it's like stupid so i i got a, just quick little notes um you know before this advantage at injury anderson had played in nine games during that time he averaged 10 minutes and seven seconds a game and then since the has been hurt he appeared in eight games he was scratched for one and in those games he played eight minutes and uh, 54 seconds so clearly uh the coaching staff felt a certain way about him and now they've assigned him to hartford and <clears throat> the hope is that he sees what philip just did where he was assigned to the pack from camp he took the assignment he put his head down he played very well and now he's come back up and he's been very efficient for the rangers but the question I have for you, Mike, is that this is all good and well theoretically, but say Anderson, you know, he you know, he plays like a bat out of hell, he's over a point per game in Hartford, then what? Because the problem was they didn't have a spot for him now. So if he plays better, like what are the corresponding moves that they'll make to actually get him to play at the NHL level? Yeah, and that's the big question. Like, I read Adam's piece for Banter. I read Larry Brooks's piece. I've read, you know, what a lot of people have said about Leas and the situation. And, you know, I think it's to imply that the Rangers aren't at fault here for what's happened with his development, I think, is is bad, bad analysis, to say the least. Um, one need only look at, like you said, the fact that there was not an opportunity for him in this lineup whereas opportunities were created for Brett Howden. And I think some people might say, oh, you know, Brett Howden may have earned those opportunities over Leas. I really don't think that's the case. Um, and just in terms of, you know, just what, if you, we, if we focus specifically on what those players are really looked at to do, Leas was perfectly fine, as far as I can tell, on the penalty kill. He wasn't sensational, because guess what? The Rangers' penalty kill is a, is a shit show. But... Yeah, like the fact that he had some of that taken away from him, the fact that his most common line mates were uh, Brandon Smith and Greg McKegg, um, and after that it was Michael Haley, who this team just determined, uh, you know, they were willing to put on waivers even with Mika Zibanejad not able to return. At first, uh, we thought maybe the Rangers putting Haley on waivers because Mika would be ready for Wednesday against Washington, and that is not the case, as we had learned. Uh, you know, earlier today that Mika won't be ready for that game. So like you're saying, Tom, yeah, if if Leas, everything goes well, like let's say he goes straight to Hartford, uh, he pushes Stephen Fogarty down. Uh, you know, Fogarty, I believe, stepped into that first line role that was previously occupied by Heedle. And now Leas Anderson's on that top line and everything goes well. He's a point per game player, right? He's doing everything he's supposed to do. 
when does he get the chance to come up? And I think that's why a lot of people are saying, like, is this, have we already seen Leas' last game as a Ranger? I think some of the people who are, um, you know, kind of doom and gloom or kind of fed up with everything. And I don't know. I, I, it feels like they're kicking the can down the road. It's almost like they yeah. don't want to make a decision and they're sort of playing their cards close to their chest where it's like, well, we're going to give them the ability to play in Hartford, but we don't know what the end result is going to be. So it's very much, all right, let's see what happens. Yeah. And during everything, that time... Yeah, everything they've planned for Leas Anderson... Um, since the beginning of this year, they have been writing on like a chalkboard and erasing every couple weeks, I think, and rewriting it because they don't know how to fit him in. I mean, if to me, it's it, what's one of the most ironic things I don't think is that's spoken about a lot, Tom, is that if I just describe to you the way that Leas Anderson plays, and I describe to you the sort of player that David Quinn likes, doesn't wouldn't you think that would be a good fit? Like a guy who is, you know, a two-way guy who works his ass off? I would. And the thing that about it um, that's very interesting to me is, in, in all of this, it's sort of been, I would say, most people are, like, looking at the Anderson situation and saying, okay, if he's not doing what's being asked of him, all right, you know, the Rangers are well within their, their rights to do so. But there's this... Um, there's this vagueness of what is being expected. And Larry Brooks says you had mentioned he had dropped a piece. And I think this is an important sort of statement from Quinn. Brooks posed it as, ah, the question becomes whether Anderson got a fair shake. And yeah. Quinn sort of says, I get that everyone talks about that, but there are things in the game you need to do regardless of who your line mates are. This isn't about points. This is about you watch the game and a player should be doing this and they should be doing that or the player should be doing this quicker and they're not doing it quick enough. A player should be physical and they're not physical. That has nothing to do with who your line mates are. Now, I may be naive. I may be dumb. I may not know anything, but I read that and I'm saying to myself, how hard is it to legitimately, and this is right after obviously a guy's been sent down, how, how hard is it to put into words what you're expecting of a player who's playing less than 10 minutes a game? Like, like you said, the chalkboard analogy. I feel like there is no real concrete plan because this is vagueness and platitudes and you they can't have this. one. Like, they, it, yeah. no plan could possibly be in place given what we've seen. And like Quinn's point about the line mates... And needing to see what he sees from Leas. How much does Leas Anderson have to, you know, he's given s such a scant amount of five-on-five -five ice time in NHL games that, you know, if if he's asking to see those adjustments in his game and the way he plays and he wants to see them when he's playing with Michael Haley and Brendan Smith, is it at all surprising that it's been a slow learning curve? You know, like... If he's getting two or three shifts every period, maybe? Is that surprising? That he, it's been slow to see those returns on on whatever investment and, and individual attention they've been giving him in you know film sessions and in practice? To, it's just a really frustrating thing. And the thing that, you know, the at the end of the day, Tom, my biggest takeaway from all this is just 
it feels really crappy for Elias Anderson the person and I hope that this assignment to Hartford will be like you said at the top of the show really this it'll be a great opportunity for him to hopefully rebuild his confidence and I do want to reiterate this like in bold and underlined uh, you know font like he doesn't need to be a point per guy game in Hartford to do well in Hartford he's not he's not yeah he's not ever been a guy who's been touted as a like a real you know offensive generator in terms of a high-end skill set in the offensive zone like there was talk about him having a good shot he's but really he's a two-way guy who you know was supposed to be a guy who you could project to be as your second line center maybe your 1b center if everything went well the rangers drafted him where they did that was a decision the team made not that leah sanderson made and now we find ourselves in a situation where his best path back to the rangers might be playing wing on the third line if he plays well enough in Hartford. And uh, it's a shame to me. It really is a shame. And I, you know, I, I look at the success story of uh, Philippetel and how well he's doing since he's been called up. And you got to feel good about that. You look at, like, Adam Fox and how, you know, not to overstate and not to be too hyperbolic, but, like, he's been brilliant, you know, quietly brilliant in a lot of different ways in his rookie season to the point that he doesn't get nearly enough credit or nearly enough attention. And frankly, to some extent, I like that, that he, there's not too much spotlight on him because I feel like we could feel how the spotlight might've been affecting Capo Caco a little bit. Um, and again, another positive thing, Capo Caco had a two goal game, Tom. So there are good things for the young players, but, um, and they, they deserve to be celebrated and we, we will celebrate them of course, but Watching this happen, Elias is struggle is is a struggle for us, and you know, watching him struggle is tough. I I really hope there's a happy ending here. I hope that everything goes, you know, his way. He he gets to Hartford, things start clicking, and he you know gets his head and heart back into the game and all of that. But you know, I'll never really forget when I was uh, forget when it was. I think I might have mentioned it in the, our last show, but I was. I caught like the first period of a game, uh, you know, on the radio broadcast because I was in the car and he was, it was the first, Leas' first game back after being a scratch. And he, he was asked, you know, on the radio, like, oh, you know, did you learn anything when you were, you're sitting out of the game as a scratch? And he said, you know, not really. I was just in the exercise room. And then he kind of, you know, amended his answer and said something along the lines of like, of course you learn something every time you watch hockey, but like that answer told me so much about how he felt like you know it's it's really really hard for him it's understandable yeah it's definitely understandable the the position he's been put in and i think uh, a great point that adam brought up in his piece was that he was kind of made a face of this rebuild and you know that came as a result of being tied to a trade that moved derek stepan right and the crazy part now is you know, the biggest piece that the Rangers got in that trade is probably Tony D'Angelo at this point. Who is tearing it up. And it's uh, he is certainly playing better than I think any of us thought he would this year. It's not to say that the potential has not been there. I believe it's, you know, someone is playing said, up to that potential, really, yeah. is what's happening now. And he's living up to, I think it was the moniker of being one of the most talented uh, 
defenseman the OHL has seen in recent years, and it's he's now actualizing um, that ability, which is it's it's something like you said, you you celebrate the positives uh, when you can. Yeah, now it's um you know he is shooting. I think it's sixteen percent at five on five, so he's definitely punching above his weight in that regard. But he's already matched his five on five goal total from last season. Uh, he's no he Ryan Strom. No, not quite Ryan Strom level, folks. And uh, as someone pointed out to me on Twitter, because uh, I had mentioned that Philip Hedl had his, had as many goals as Brady Kachuk in eleven fewer games, and someone mentioned you know Philip Hedl's shooting percentage being sky high. And how it's unfair to not mention that and uh, talk about Ryan Strom shooting percentage all the time. Um, you know, I didn't bother to reply to the person, even though, you know, it wasn't like an outlandish point. But you know, I ran out of characters. I also made a point of talking about how Philip Hedl enjoys Friends and How I Met Your Mother. So it wasn't exactly a hard-hitting, you know, analytics tweet of mine. But right, and it's uh, also like <laughs> Kedel, It's the the point of which Strom is that we have a much larger sample on which to judge where we have a, a shorter window with Heedle and it's we're not trying to say oh it's okay that he you know shoots really high but like yeah I know, don't expect Philip Heedle to finish the season with uh, 30% shooting I think he's 40% oh, yeah. right now at 5 on 5 don't get me wrong I don't expect that to happen but uh, you know the point I was trying to make is he's been red hot and of everyone who was drafted in his draft class of 2017, he leads that class in even strength goals, which is awesome. Um, something to celebrate. And, you know, yeah, is he shooting crazy high? Of course he is. Uh, that's what happens when you've played nine games and you have six goals. Uh, but again, it's a great, it's, it's, like you said, and like I, you know, you're reiterating me, the silver linings, the positive things we can point to, there are plenty of those going on, despite the, you know, the fact that the Rangers have really had a rough, I mean, I don't know how we would describe that Tampa game, Tom, and honestly, we could do an entire show on that game, but that was a game where I think it may have been important for some members of the media and for some fans to see the team get roasted in that way. It's a baptism by fire. Yeah, and like, especially because, I don't know if you remember, there was a lot of, when the Rangers beat Tampa 4-1 to on uh, October 29th, it was a lot mm -hmm. of like, hey, maybe this team, I don't know. I saw a little bit of that on Rangers Twitter. A little beating of chess, like, oh. Yeah, like, hey, what do you know? Um, this and... is your Stanley Cup favorite, Tampa Bay Lightning? This is your king? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's important to note, in the shot share. Uh, the Rangers have only beaten two teams in the shot share, Tom. They were the Senators and the New Jersey Devils. And the New, Real New Jersey Devils of teams. Yeah, and the Devils just put Corey Schneider on waivers today. Uh, yeah, I feel bad for him. Like, he was, uh, in, in speaking, you know, of, of just, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to see. Like, he's a guy that, you know, we don't have to go into the, you know, the whole history of Corey Schneider, but... Someone that played really well early on in his career was sort of in a one-two thing with uh, Roberto Luongo. Yeah, and then um, he got traded. And uh, was it was it the pick that became Bo Horvat? It was. And the interesting yeah. thing that I'll remember about that is New Jersey was hosting the draft that year, and they traded that pick. So like that's ah. a total Lou Lamorello move. Yeah. 
Ara, we have a trade to announce. We're trading our first round pick. For Carl Are y'all showing up for the draft? Thanks for showing up for the draft, fellas. Fuck off. Yeah. Uh, we will not be making our first round pick. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like, like I was saying that the the wake up call of this of the Florida road trip was important. I know, like watching Hank's reactions. Um, you know that game ended nine to three, Tom. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, and... I was laughing watching that game, and like it got to the point where like my dad came in from the other room. He's like, "Why are you laughing?" And I explained to him that Gorgiev started the game, gave up four goals. Hank comes in relief, finishes the first, plays the second, and then things were so bad that they brought Gorgiev back in. And you know, mm-hmm. I was pissed watching that game just because I left Lundqvist in the starting spot, even though. I knew he wasn't playing. I'm like, oh, what do I got to move him for? Um, luckily, it didn't cost me in fantasy, but now I know um, if Hank is not going to start, I'm just keeping him on the bench. I don't, yeah. I don't care what happens. And as uh, as fate would have it, Kevin Shattenkirk had two primary points in that game, Tom. Um, you know, pretty good. Defense. It's one of those things you just can't quite write. It's just two. You know, it's just and mind you, that's two primary points of. And five on five alone, so um, no need for that. Yeah, I don't know. I feel I don't know. It feels like we're getting to the point now. I think thanks to this most recent road trip, where uh, people are kind of coming to terms with the fact that this is the Rangers we have, and really what we're learning is Artemi Panarin. As much as the Rangers paid, and I think I was one of the people who was the most nervous about how much this guy got paid in terms of, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what the cap situation will be moving forward and, you know, the second highest, you know, cap hit. Tom, Artemi Panarin is worth every penny of the 11.642 million he's getting. It's unbelievable how good this guy is. Now, I don't know about... Without Mika Zibanejad, mind you. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that there's no Mika Zibanejad. He's made Ryan Stroman an all-star. Now, I don't know about $11.462 million, but before we go any further... How dare I'd li- you? I'd, I'd he, like he's to, worth all of it, and you know it. I'd, I'd like to, you know, just put in a little break for, for an ad that, you know... Oh! Responsible little, Tom! Little money will uh, go to the program and help things grow smoothly, so we will uh, be right back and get into all things Artemi Panarin. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And just like that, we're back through the, you know, radio podcasting magic. Uh, yeah, Parnarin has been, um, he's been really good. And like you said, he's been worth every penny. Um, and it's funny that you bring up his cat hit, cap hit that starts with an 11 because he's on an 11-game point streak, of which he scored five goals, 12 assists for 17 points. And of, of that, four goals nine assists, 13 points have come at even strength. So this is 
you know, grade A production. This is not, you know, just dining out on the power play and picking up, you know, uh, easy Yeah, not points. a lot of power play points, actually. It's He's getting it done at evens for the most part. Like, the thing that's, I didn't mean to cut you off, but the thing that, you know, I'm putting together Rangers radar tonight before I crash, and in Tom, in his last six games, he has five two-point games. He's a madman. He is just so That's good. That's insanity. And I this feel like, like we say this every week, like, but like it's still to me, it's still sinking in that this is real. That we get to see this guy every game. Well, we haven't like, and you know, we talked about this a lot. I know you you were on you know during the summer with me a bunch as well. You know, with me on the show with Joe, like the Rangers not having a guy like Yarmer Yager in a long time. A guy who you just look at as like. Yep, the other team's going to try and stop them. They're just going to do their best. The Rangers haven't had that player. They've had Henrik Lundqvist, who was there to be essentially a trump card against opposing teams that were frankly better than the Rangers in most regards. Like, you know, the Capitals have Alex Ovechkin. Well, we have Henrik Lundqvist. And, you know, maybe Derek Broussard's going to score. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We didn't have really and that ace with in the Panarin, it's yeah exactly and now Panarin is that guy and holy hell has he been something special like right now he's has 23 points six of them are on the power play this yeah. is, like you said he's not dining out on the power play um he's he, he and the thing that's maybe craziest and the Rangers most recent loss to Florida uh, this one was only uh three to four as opposed to three to nine I think it was Panarin and Strom who both had insane ice time. He had twenty-seven fifty-seven. Yeah, it at was, the end of the game. Tom. It was impressive. Twenty-seven fifty-seven. Because like I missed the game, I was driving home. I so I was listening to the game uh, on the radio. So once I eventually got home, I looked at the highlights and I looked at the ice time. And uh, yeah, and I, you alluded to this. I rather not alluded. You flat out mentioned it. He's done the majority of this without Mika Zibanejad. That's um, the craziest part to Which me. brings the question of when Zibanejad does come back, obviously I think you would want to keep them separated to start because that will spread out the offense. And when the Rangers eventually get to where they want to be, that is something that they've not had in a long time where you can look and say, okay, we have one guy on this line, that is going to be able to pass, be able to score goals, and we're going to have another one even better than him on another line so that yeah. teams that, like, obviously hockey... I love a, that idea. That's yeah. a great idea. And hockey's a lot better now than it you know was 10 years ago. So teams are have tougher times being able to match, you know, defense pairings to, you know, quote-unquote, shut down lines. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's just something that. And but God help me if they put them on two different lines and Philip Heedle isn't centering the other line. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like if it's Hedl's Ryan Strom staying with Panarin, I'll be a little. But here's the thing: I wouldn't, I wouldn't go get crazy if it took David Quinn a couple games to, to get there right. because He's I think gonna... it'll be hard for him to say I'm going to take Ryan Strom away when Ryan Strom is you know he's putting up and here's the thing with Ryan Strom. I know we talk a lot about him here and he's not I, I, I want to be clear he's never intended to be a scapegoat um, it's not like we need a scapegoat on the show I think the reason we talk about Ryan Strom so much is frankly because he is a polarizing player 
um, in terms of some people who are beginning to think, you know, it's almost like you kind of predicted the future a little bit, Tom, um, in that article you wrote where you said, do the Rangers have to kind of reevaluate what's going on with Ryan Strom here? And I've seen a lot of talk about that. And there's a lot of talk about where he's going to be and what he can be for this team moving forward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm still of the opinion that he's a guy the Rangers might want to move on from. But the bottom line right now, he has, you know, he has eight primary points at five on five, you know, and he's making those plays. He's making, you know, the plays in the offensive zone. He's He definitely has some of those high-end skill moments where you look at it and you're like, oh, you know, that was a great play by Ryan Strom. But the fact that the other facets of his game are not there is, I think, what makes him, frankly, an expendable player. But here's the thing. He's almost an ideal guy to have as a, like, a plug-in guy while these kids develop. The danger of that is the Rangers, I feel like they can't afford to fall in love with Ryan Strom. Like, they can't afford to mistake what his potential is. Um, and, like, they have to take a long, hard look at what aging curves are and what, you know, the data tells us. And, you know, we, we get that data for many, many, many years of hockey and many, many, many instances. Are there, like, exceptions? Of course there are. But I'm also of the opinion, Tom, that, you know, if you put Blair Betts on a line with Artemi Panarin, Blair right. Betts is going to score some points. Yeah. And the thing about it is that Ryan Strom was someone that was a great junior player. He was touted to be this impactful player. And the thing about it is that he wasn't that player for so long. Um, It worries me that, okay, he's doing it now. But like Mm -hmm. we've said, and not to be the, you know... The, uh, this over and over again you have to look at how old he is the amount of money he's going to try and get as someone that has never had a real long-term contract the longest contract he ever had was his entry-level deal so there's not this yeah, universe crazy. that exists that the rangers could look to keep him for a year or two because He's not going to do that to himself. He's going to push all of his chips to the table and say, this is the production that I have, and I want a long-term deal. He's not going to take a chance that his situation changes next year and you know the air comes out from under the tent and he's just there and he's you know five points in 35 games and then he's you know on the third or fourth line and, and it's like, yeah, this is who we thought he was all along. Um, but... I, wanna, I wanted to mention this really quickly before I forget it. Like, sure. Another way to look at how good Artemi Panarin is and how he's been impacting the team is to look at the kind of slow start for Cam Atkinson um, and Columbus. And I just checked this really quick while, while Tom was finishing his point. Atkinson has one goal in his last 16 games. He had 41 goals in 80 games last year. Wow. He's, he's got three goals in 19 games and one goal in his last 16. That's a dip. Like, that's a bit of a dip. And again, I think he's, you know, he's his shooting will bounce out. I think he's better than a 4.4% shooter. But Oh, yeah. Um, that's all strengths, mind you. But, like, every way we can try to measure the impact of Panarin, which is why we ended up on Strom in the first place, has been... He's been amazing. He's been he's exceeded expectations, which 
is really hard to do at that cap hit. In all three zones. Yeah, and that's, yeah, the, in all three zones, he's been definitely, like, I never expected much from him in the defensive zone, to be frank, because that's never been, like, the greatest strength of his game, and, and you know, I when you're a guy at that tier, if you're that good at driving offense and making shit happen, it's almost like you're Other not stuff always... Other can slide. Yeah, you're allowed to kind of slack off here and there, but he does work his ass off. You can tell this is a guy who's not going to just coast as the superstar on a bad team. He's going to be the guy that gets everyone like amped up. He's back checking. He's working hard. Like I think he even blocked a shot in that game uh, against Florida. Like he's doing, he's doing a little bit of everything. And you know, I think it certainly doesn't hurt that he's playing 28 minutes a night right now, but. Uh, <laughs> He's definitely been noticeable every single game, every single period. And it's, again, I reserve the right to to gripe about his contract at a later date, but I got to say, it's uh, it's been really fun. The Artemi Panarin show has been really fun. And watching, I think, especially watching Capo Caco kind of gain some confidence, shoot the puck a little bit more, find the back of the net, it's been fun. And like we've said, Adam Fox and Tony D'Angelo, like, there are, there's a lot of stuff to, to worry about. Like, I, I'm starting to work on a piece about, I don't, I don't really think Lieber Hayek is ready uh, for the NHL. And uh, certainly not the top pair. I should definitely clarify. Oh, yeah, that's like, by, by far. Like, he's yeah, been... That has just been a, I think that has gotten to the point where it's, it has been, like, corrosive to Jacob Truba to have... Lieber Hayek as his defensive partner to some extent. I look at what Jacob Truba looked like in the first four or five games he was a Ranger. Looked pretty looked, good. Pretty looked dynamic. Looked really good to me. He yeah. was leading the team in shots. He was he was a goddamn brick shithouse. He was doing everything. And now it's Lieber Hayek as his partner, and it's been, frankly, a different Jacob Truba and not the sort of guy that you feel wonderful about as the foundational piece of your blue line. You want, I think you want to put Jacob Truba in a position to succeed and you want to put Lieber Hayek in a position to succeed, and you kill two birds with one stone by changing that pairing. You got to get Lieber Hayek off that top pair, in my opinion. Give him the ability to breathe. Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure why Lindy Ruff is is stuck with that as long as he has, and why Quinn is given it his blessing. Because I don't, I don't really know what they might see. Um, well, what does and... Lindy Ruff see? Like, I mean. <laughs> He, it's it's like we joke about this a lot, but and again, and it's we've brought this up before. But Jeff Bukaboom got one year running the defense. They didn't like how things were, and yeah. they moved on. But Ruff can do no wrong, and it's not like they even try anything different. Like obviously, we all have our um, our hopes, our desires, our dreams of what we would like this to be. But they they don't even deviate the slightest. It's just this is what we're doing. We know it doesn't work. We're gonna do it anyway. Yeah, that is. I think that's the part that is hard to me. It's either they they must be aware that it doesn't work and they they stick to it because frankly they don't have any better options. Which, when your defense has these parts to it, it's not it's not impossible for the Rangers to paint themselves into a corner where they're like, this is all we can get out of this defense, right? Because frankly, the you know it's very hard to get make the sum of these parts greater than the whole, but or the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. You know what I mean? Like the the end result of this defense 
I still believe can be significantly better than this. And the reason being is because we've seen what guys do away from other guys. And the impressions we have of Libor Hayek are just like, it's not really working. Um, the thing is, it's been the pair we've now seen the most of at 5-on-5, five five, Tom. 18 games, 211 mm -hmm. minutes, 55 seconds of Truba and Hayek. And uh, just to be really good and clear, I'll do score and venue adjusted uh, on the shot share, just so we don't have any, we get the most accurate representation. It's a 39.43 shot share. Score and venue adjusted at 5-on-5 five five for that top pair. Now that top pair is playing by default against the team's better you know, forwards most more often than not because that's the Jacob Truba pairing. But why is Adam Fox not getting more ice time, therefore bumping that pairing down? Yeah, like I don't know, like that's Ryan the, like, Green Adam Fox has been fine. Like I that's mean like they're the easiest solution in my mind. You bump them up, you see what happens, and if you don't like it, you go back. Like they haven't been much better in terms of the shot share, but the thing is, they are significantly better in the expected goal differential. Um, and that, to me, is really important because they can generate the sort of offense and keep the other team respecting what they can do in a way that the Truba Hayek pairing can't. Lieber Hayek just, just does not have that that asset in his game right now he's not an offensive defenseman by any stretch of the imagination and the thing that kills me the most about that pairing tom is that their their pdo is north of 100 the truba hayek pairing so they pretty it, much are you know it's, it's they are what they are yeah like they, exactly. there's not a lot of excuses for what they look like um I mean, I think the biggest thing, if you you know you're scanning it, you know, natural stat trick like I am right now, you know they get very, very, very few offensive zone starts, which is not surprising because they're viewed as the shutdown pair when they really have been, um, you know, in, even before Stahl and his injury. But like looking at what this is now, it's like without Stahl in the lineup is a great. I'm great, glad you brought that up because great opportunity to experiment yeah, and to move and shit around. Yeah, there's been none of that. Like, what the fuck? Like, he's been out and it's just been status quo pretty much. And and a team that gave up nine goals. <laughs> like, yeah, like can, seriously. Can't we try? Let's try a little something different. Like, gee, um, we gave up nine fucking goals. We can't. You know, it's it's hard to get worse than that. Like, what's? Well, if we change something, it could be worse. You just gave up nine goals. Yeah, Seriously? you gave up nine goals, and you gave up four the next night, and like, I don't know, I, I would just imagine that at some point, you know, if, I'm not like, I know that a lot of fans are like, oh, they want Lindy Ruff gone, like, I'm not trying to take a man's job here, but I am trying to say, is there an account, is there any degree of accountability in terms of, like, the thoughts that go into tactics with pairings, and like, can't we do I just want to try a little something different, folks. Is that yeah? And like, like Shay and D'Angelo has been great, but I, in my opinion, you could put D'Angelo with, like, put D'Angelo with Ryan Lindgren. I'm, I'm pretty sure it would still work great. Yeah, exactly. I just, I would like, very, very much to see Jacob Truba not have to play with Libor Hayek, and you know, does that mean Libor Hayek isn't ready? Does that, does that mean they can send him down? Like, in my opinion, why not? Like, hasn't 
I can't think of another guy in Hartford that has maybe earned a cup of coffee more than Joey Keane. Like, he's only 20, but he's been freaking brilliant. Yeah. I mean, he plays I, the right side. I exactly. Know, but... If he Joey Keane was left-handed, I think he would be here by now. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think that is kind of the bottom line, right? Like, if he was a left-handed D, then he would have been here because he's earned it but, uh, by a mile. He's earned it. In, in fact, he probably would have been the one who got called up instead of Lindgren. But, oh, God, Tom. It just... Tom, it really grinds your gears. It grinds my gears. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 stupid stuff because again, we're not asking for the Red Sea to be parted. We're not asking for mountains to be moved. We're just asking, hey, have you ever given it a little itty bit of thought? Maybe we give the guy bit. who we you know traded for and signed to an eight million dollar contract. Maybe you should have held on to Freddie Clayson. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And that's the shame of it because in terms of people on the left side that they can plug in, they really don't have anyone. And I think this is like what we said years ago where it's like, oh, if John Gilmore had been right-handed, he would have been called up by now. It just seems that they always yeah. find themselves in these situations where they have someone. Yeah, right? It's, they can't get out of their the, own way with this. It's this. It's the same same problem but on a different foot now. It's like, oh, I've, I've been stuck with two right right footed shoes the whole time and now it's the other way but i like looking i don't think freddie clayson has even played a game this season for carolina which is you know that is what it is but uh, i tell you what i would love to have clayson at the veterans minimum um right now instead of i don't know michael haley like it just god yeah if you i don't could, know if you could a team that entered the season with two rookie defensemen i i would have imagined looking back they may may have wanted a little more security in terms of what was there in the blue line especially a team that last season said you know what adam mcquaid come on down and maybe they got so gun shy about how that went that they didn't want to go that route again but so they chose to give seven hundred thousand dollars to a journeyman forward that once played for them to play in 10 games get 40 penalty minutes and average five minutes and 49 seconds a game. Yeah, it's $700,000. didn't even lead, damn lead well the team in it. penalty minutes. That's that's the real letdown. Because Brendan Lemieux leading the team in penalty minutes. He's a slacker, that Michael Haley. Um, is there anything else we want to talk Oh, uh, the Rangers hired uh, the guy for, rather I should say, MSG, Madison Square Garden hired. The man who was responsible, uh, I think his name's Johnny Greco, and he was responsible for all the pregame shenanigans uh, that were popular with some folks and not popular with other folks for the Vegas Golden Knights. So, I don't know, folks. Uh, it was effective as of November 14th, but I would imagine it's going to take some time for them to line up all the uh, shenanigans. But experiences at the Garden might be a little different soon. Might yeah. see some fireworks, some razzle-dazzle. Yeah, and I think the perfect way to end this is people that are listening to this um, submit you know whenever you listen to it you can use the hashtag you know we'll, we'll come up with a hashtag what do you think but basically what do you think we will now see at Madison Square Garden what type of you know theatrics and hashtag act- Rangers night yeah with with, the, with a K for the night ah very good there Michael because they're just trying to be the Golden Knights, I guess. Maybe they're trying. To it would be hysterical if they like, just brought out goddamn uh, what's it called, like the Knights from medieval times, and they just painted them red and blue. But uh, you know, this guy's been—he was with Golden Knights for two years before that. He was with the WWE, and like 
he does NBA All-Star games. So, I don't know. It'll just be... I mean, for a team that doesn't have a mascot, I think, like, you know, the, the most uh, exciting thing that happens at a Ranger game is that weird uh, that weird ball, on like a drone ball that flies around and records the crowd. They don't publish yeah. those anymore. Like, Yeah, it's a shame. They used to have a feed, and I don't know if maybe they caught on to it, but, like, um, before the Rangers had officially brought back Brad Richards, I was, like, looking on that thing, and I'm like, hey, why has Brad Richards been in their, their private box for, like, the last two weeks? And then, like, uh, yeah. You ruined everything, Tom. I, I take full and unmitigated responsibility for You ruined for the that. whole floaty ball drone Blame thing. me. I'm just, you know. Am I the only one who just wants to reach out and, and just touch it? It gets awfully close. I just want It does. And I wonder if you, if you make a motion towards it, if someone's just going to, like, jerk it back. Or if it you know tases you or something maybe um but yeah we talked about a lot now tom you know what we're gonna talk about now we're gonna talk about patrons Goddamn right we are look at your professional already adam nahoek aiden gaspar alex gardner armrell kistner andre Chicagov, anthony viola arch williams bob kawa bobby callahan and my favorite name change formerly wmm39 and then he changed his name just for Joe, and now he's changed his name to I can't believe I changed my name for Joe. <laughs> uh, I want I want to let you know, sir, that you're my inspiration. Uh, you're the reason I get up in the morning. Is the messages you send to the show through your patron name? I appreciate it. Captain America, who refuses for us to send him any merch because he has quote unquote too much physical crap. Chris Abivi, Chris Lucas, Chris O'Connor, Clark Carroll. Craig Lachlan, Dan Carosi, Dan Zappor, Daniel DeGen, Danny Santiago, David Elsinger, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, Gabriel Vargas, George Littman, Igor Zoslavsky, James Dangles, Jermaine Francis, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Keith Franchillo, Kyle Napolitano, Matt from Brooklyn, Michael Canick, Michael Marcus, Michael Scott, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Hoffman, a new friend, hello, Nikolai Hoffman, Panera in 2020, Patrick Landolt, Sammy Volga Seidenberg, Stephanie Benvengo, Stieg Bjolbach, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, The Tin Man, Thomas Osa, Toy from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. Thank you all very, very much as always. If you have some time, pop over to iTunes, leave us a good rating. Some people are mean. They say mean things. Five stars, please. And I cry, I cry myself to sleep on a wet pillow from the tears, from all the mean things. And, uh, nice Don't things be mean nice. to Mike. He's a big oh, old teddy kind of, bear. I'm kind of a prick sometimes. Um, I, I highly recommend, if you're ever at Buffalo Wild Wings... Two dollars and seventy nine cents for a little little bowl of ice cream. I, I a year ago when the Rangers traded Matt Zuccarello, I was there that day, and I had uh, I had a bowl of the ice cream because that was really sad. <laughs> and uh, last Sunday I was out with my friend and the girlfriend, and I I got that bowl of ice cream again, and it reminded me of the Zuccarello trade, and I felt sad again. But you know what, Tom? It was so yummy that it felt good inside. It's interesting you bring that up because he will be back at Madison Square Garden next ah, week. I'm not ready for that. Ah. On that ah. note, we will uh, see you ah. in the mailbag for bantering uh, off the post. We'll answer all of your questions and more. Thank you as always for listening, ah. and we will uh, talk to you again soon. Ah, you're